0: Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness, I'm Rodney, and over there's Steve.
1: Hey now.
0: Hey now. And today we're going back to the past, sort of. Uh, we're looking at a classic adventure module for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, this one is its a bit notorious, although not as notorious as Tomb of Horrors. And we are talking about, but these. more
1: notorious than White Plume Mountain.
0: Yes, <laughs> definitely more. Still, starts part of the same series, though. It's all the S series adventures.
1: That's true, and that's the thing. Is like every time we like intersect with AD and D on this show, it is the S series.
0: <laughs> that that is strange, but um, that's just the way it seems to work. Uh, there's only four. The series was awesome. Well, yeah, there's four, right? And we've already done yes. Dream of Horrors. We've already done White Plume Mountain. Uh, today, ladies and gentlemen, we are doing Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. Yes. This what, one. What is the fourth in the edit?
1: Uh The Lost Tavern of... I can't pronounce that last word.
0: Sothogwaripa. <laughs> uh,
1: Sothank or Sothcanth or right. whatever. So... Yeah. So I have like S3, I actually was considering running it for our group for a while. Uh-huh. Um, I actually have three physical copies of this damn thing. Uh, technically five because I have the second edition, mm-hmm. a module, the actual module. I have the reprint in dungeons of dread, which has all the S series. Right, and then I have the Goodman Games um expedition to the barrier peaks from the original Adventures Reincarnated, uh-huh. which has two versions of the original one the first um ed- printing and the second printing, mm-hmm. and then the five the conversion to 5e that they did.
0: Wow, yeah, this thing is available for every edition. Uh, it's one. One of the few dungeons that, that that keeps persisting over the years, and I guess that's a testament to the S series, and at least seventy-five percent of the S series.
1: Yeah, I, I have no interactions with the last
0: one. <laughs> okay. Well, we got we got to um, make the set though.
1: So what? We'll to... No, we, yeah, we well, we'll definitely either play it or 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 talk about it. <laughs> Um, I think the reason why this particular one persists is because it is kind of an anomaly. Mm -hmm. Um, For those of you who are unfamiliar, the plot of this particular adventure is there is part of a spaceship crashes into Greyhawk um, and monsters, whoa, monsters are plaguing the barony of something or other.
0: The the Duchy of Jeff in the land of Greyhawk.
1: (laughs) The Duchy of Jeff. Which it was passed on the left-hand side. So um, Jeff <laughs> hires the uh, the in, the uh, adventurers to go and find out what the source of the monsters. Hmm. And so you get to go into a spaceship, right? Right, and get blaster rifles.
0: <laughs> yeah, this was originally <laughs> and uh... fight
1: androids.
0: Yep, it's and alien creatures that appear nowhere else. In, in Dungeons yes. and Dragons.
1: And a couple of actually um, iconic, I guess you would call them, anomalies of mm-hmm. D&D. And that is the wolf in sheep's clothing mm-hmm. and the frog <laughs> Right, right.
0: But you also have a couple of, uh, in. This, this is the earliest I've seen them. Uh, the Intellect Devourer and the Mind Flayer. Uh, that are yeah, now like a staple and... of
1: Forgotten Realms. Yeah, I mean, you've used the, um, the Mind flare quite effectively in your own... Yes,
0: uh, I, I like the Mind Flayers. Own... They're really cool.
1: Yeah, and Intellect Devourers are fucking horrible. Yes. <laughs> they are horrible things. Um, I think another reason why this dungeon sticks with me not that it's really a dungeon, is in a dungeon setting, it's kind of a sandbox. Mm-hmm. Um, you There's no, you go down 20 feet and come to a T intersection. Uh, there's a room to the north with doors on the northwest side. There's none of that. You're basically each level of the spaceship, and it's a flying saucer, saucer
0: mm-hmm. more
1: or less, uh, is open yep. uh, there's some rooms but it's not your traditional dungeon
0: right Of course. You, order, there's order. no
1: specific order where you're going to be encountering things um you more or less can go wherever you want at any given point which yep. i think is weird on an interior of, of a dungeon as opposed to you know like a hex crawl where you like you have six directions and you know each direction is uh you know x kilometers so you spend a day more or less in the hex mm-hmm. right here you're spending a, a like maybe a turn 10 right. minutes in a square mm-hmm. and uh you know th- there's a lot of squares <laughs> a lot
0: of squares this is this map is absolutely huge um it it, is, it's, it's a bit it's intimidating yeah well, I mean, it's, a lot of those old-school types of things, you know, we're we're big areas.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, like, this map is, like, normally your dungeon may have, what, like, three, two or three levels? Um,
0: if yeah.
1: You're lucky. Un- uh, un- un- unless you're doing, like, has,
0: a Castle Greyhawk, Castle Blackmoor style.
1: Right, but, but those are, are mega dungeons. Yeah. But,
0: but like, they're two also, like,
1: one level. Tomb of Horrors is one level. White Plume Mountain you can divide into three different parts. Right. Uh, this has seven levels, and it's also designed so you don't have to go. You don't have to encounter everything on it. You know, you can skip whole sections of it. Really.
0: Right. If you find the right path, the the right elevator, turb, whatever you want to call them. Um, yeah. You can you can bypass entire areas. One of the other interesting things about this dungeon is that uh, you mentioned that it's sandboxy, but uh, unless the players figure this out early on, once they're inside, they're in there for 20 game hours. Those doors, you you can't go right back out the doors you came in. You're stuck for for 20 hours for the, you know, studious timekeeper. Right. So, you know, it's either find another way out or wait.
1: Yeah. You're sitting by the front door for twenty hours. That's fun. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's worth schlepping to, to somebody's house, <laughs> making up a character, getting your character sheet out. Man, mm-hmm. that's worth it. Just sitting well, wait, the door's open.
0: <laughs> uh, sounds like D twenty model to me. <laughs> like, you, you
1: could you could do that in Tomb of Horrors too. You could yep. just like not find the right entrance and so say fuck it
0: this is true this is very true uh thankfully the narration setup of the dungeon is like as soon as you get there the door opens up you you time it just right for the
1: yes well i mean you're you're trying to get into this damn thing Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think you know you you want to not bypass the the uh, approach because they do have notes on the approach and everything and, and what you could be doing while you're looking for this entrance. But mm-hmm. I think the you know the fun stuff is inside.
0: Oh yeah, always the fun stuff is always in the dungeon. There are steps going down. If you say, uh, yeah, I'll just go back to town," you're not fu- you're not fun.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous, you know. You, there, there's, it's part of the social contract of playing a uh, role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Engage with the role-playing. So, uh, so you've, you've, have you read this before? Have you played this before or anything?
0: Nope. This is this is my first dealing with it um, that I remember. Um, I have definitely have not read it, and my initial impression of it is that this is a goddamn dungeon that requires a lot of prep work. Yes. I agree.
1: You you, I think have, you really to have, have to run this. Know,
0: yeah, because it's so open.
1: You have to have a plan in running it. Mm. I agree. I think you need to figure out how you're going to get people to certain points, um, and and have them you know visualize where they're going and what they're doing, and, and get them to 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 engage with it. Because if you look at at the first level, the map of the first level um uh, you op- it opens up into a in like a dark antechamber, and one of the first things you're going to see is one of these uh anti-grav turbo lifts and it might be the one that doesn't work right <laughs> so yeah i think you definitely have to have a plan um now fortunately it it uh comes with a separate booklet of illustrations there's like 60 illustrations that help you uh get get through it 63 um that help you get through it for the description of everything but i think the biggest challenge is how do you actually get people to uh you know if you have a a huge wide open space how do you get them to
0: explore a wide open space yeah
1: exactly i think level one isn't that bad but i think when you're getting into like the um like the the centerpiece of the thing so to speak level four which is basically a interior hex crawl because it's a wide open uh verdant space filled with um alien animals and plants
0: Mm -hmm. and some of the deadliest Um, critters in this module the wolf and sheep's clothing yeah yeah
1: I, i i like how they blend like a lot of different um things in there you have like alien fauna and flora you have androids you have police robots mm-hmm. <laughs> there's like a lot of it, it's like gary Gygax thought of everything he can think of from science fiction stories and crammed them into this ship yep and somehow made it fit which mm-hmm. doesn't always happen um in these old dungeons we've talked about dungeon ecology Mm -hmm. and how you know sometimes it just doesn't make any sense like Mountain, and yes this actually feels like it makes sense there's an internal logic to everything and maybe it's just because um he took the time to explain why things are the way they are Mm -hmm. Uh, there's this backstory of a disease uh that that overtook the crew and the passengers um and caused mass insanity so you know they like f- freaked out and broke things mm-hmm. so so some things aren't working there so there's like massive amounts of radiation leakage and, and um all these all these animals that were in, in cages in a menagerie uh, are now running wild because somebody pushed the wrong button right so it, it it does have an internal logic that that I don't think you get a lot even tomb of horrors you didn't get that quite that amount of um internal logic as you do here this it, ma- it makes sense it doesn't nothing feels arbitrary mm-hmm. except for maybe the the boulette at the end <laughs> that's a little weird but spoiler alert yeah there's a, there's a random boulette. <laughs>
0: Um, now you we mentioned the alien uh flora and fauna but there are some uh some uh, classic D&D encounters in here as well there's the one of my favorites the displacer beast uh, a couple of those running yeah. around
1: um, displacer Beast, Thurkers above uh ropers. ropers
0: doppelgangers
1: doppelgangers yeah well you you figure this thing crashed hmm. um x ex- hundreds of years ago or whatever. I don't remember exactly what it was. And every 20 hours, the front door opens. Right. So something's going to wander in. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, oftentimes when you introduce a, a, uh, foreign animal into an environment that has no natural predators, they're going to thrive. Right. So, it, so it, it, even that makes sense.
0: One thing that uh, You you mentioned the dungeon ecology Ecology One thing that stands out As you mentioned that is That the backstory The whole setup to the premise Is that five separate expeditions Have been launched to this thing And nobody has returned Yet the module itself doesn't give you any type of uh, Evidence that those Expeditions even arrived Or they met their end Inside the dungeon though clearly things have been looted right
1: well i mean there are a ton of skeletons lying around so
0: yeah a lot of them though are identified as being like the crew you know wearing metal yes. and things like that
1: yes um may- maybe but i think that if you look at it that way the crew is way too human mm-hmm. i think the aliens are too human mm-hmm. and I- and considering that the most of the gadgets that you find are not um, typical in terms of science fiction, like, guns. Right. Um, I would almost want the aliens to be a little bit more alien. Yeah. Um, I think if I were running it, I, I would have... I would alter... That detail where the uh, where the uh, passengers and crew actually have like odd shaped skeletons. Mm-hmm. I, you don't, I don't think you really have to go into it much further than that. And that's why you have arm slash shoulder mounted plasters.
0: It's, it's a predator ship. They're the, 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 yeah, the aliens are predators.
1: Yeah, that, that would be cool. Um, I, and I, I realized that they designed a lot of these uh sci fi weapons so that savvy players wouldn't recognize them mm-hmm. as such, right? Um, but I think you could have taken that a step further and had the, uh, the aliens be alien mm-hmm. instead of uh, you know, a crew of humans that went insane. Why not predators that went insane or whatever,
0: right now? You would run it basically straight out of the box, the way it is. Maybe a couple of tweaks, like, to have the alien. Um, I'm not so certain I would run it straight out of the box. The idea of the spaceship crashing is really cool. But, you know, I might consider, you know, some valley in the barrier peaks or something like that to have had this alien flora and fauna kind of expand out from the ship and eventually... Create its own little patch. It's
1: funny you should mention that. Uh oh. Because the last chapter in the Goodman Games book um, talks about just that um, expanding it mm-hmm. beyond the spaceship and having um, barrier peaks ish encounters in the surrounding countryside. Like they have. Uh, crash site environs, um, they have, like, a, there's a dragon's lair around there that has stuff in it. Mm-hmm. So, um, they, they actually have done that. Ah. Which I think is pretty damn cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, you would think eventually, after a couple of centuries or whatever, this shit would get out. You know, even with the yeah, robots maintaining Especially, it.
1: It's, well, I think the robots are checking things out. Yeah.
0: Right? I think that's one. Yeah, that's one of the things that moved the debris and started displacing I, cargo.
1: I would think that you would have at least a colony of Pygmies
0: mm-hmm.
1: hanging out.
0: Two or and, three, and and
1: obviously there are monsters that are unrecognizable plaguing the area because that's why you're there in the first place, right? And I think that's it, it's definitely beyond the scope of the original uh, module, mm-hmm. which was you know adapted from a uh like a, a gen a gen con uh, uh origins or um
0: yeah yeah there was a test run for metamorphosis alpha which eventually yeah, turned so they, into one of your favorites gamma world
1: yeah oh and and they even use the gamma well they're not the exact same uh charts but they have a gamma world style um charts for determining how to use the goodies that you find where if if you recall, you have like these flow charts, and you roll dice, and you go along the flow chart, and it's it's makes for shitty role playing, but it's a definitely a convenient way of, of simulating figuring out a new technology. Yeah. If you recall, we had Matt do it at one point, and I was like scrambling to like figure out how to describe it in an interesting way. Uh, right. <laughs> exactly. Fact, yeah. You roll a nine. Okay. Great. You go here, mm-hmm. but no, no. Um, I, I I like that system. I think it's really cool, and I like the fact that they put the effort into making the sci-fi ish um, artifacts um, not recognizable, mm-hmm. not obvious to you. I think that's really cool. That's kind of a gamma gamma worldish thing to do, right? Right. But yeah, I think I think uh, the scope of it is is smaller than what you would want to do with it. And it's cool because Goodman Games thought exactly the same way you do. Yeah. And, and thought to expand it as well.
0: I, I just think it would be an interesting idea that, you know, the barrier peaks being taken over by this alien life. And then you have this area of really weird shit between the Duchy of Jeff and... Uh, The big desert on the other side. The Barony
1: of Mary. (laughs) The Barony of Mary.
0: Yeah. No, the, uh, there's a, on the, uh, Greyhawk map, and I've been looking at this a lot since, uh, I've been planning an old school adventure or game set in Greyhawk. Keep your ear out for that at some point. Um, yeah, I've been looking at a lot of this, a lot of the map, learning where these places are and flipping through them and, uh, like the old adventures and going oh yeah I know where that's at you know that's that's over by that big ass desert on the west there you go that's that's, a, that's uh, about a week or so from the temple of elemental evil yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a cool one to go over yeah. anyway I think that this actually reminds me a lot of Fallout more than Gamma World mm-hmm. to be honest with you um especially like in fallout 3 and vegas and to a certain extent four um when you actually went into uh the different vaults right and sometimes you because the vaults were all like evil experiments run by vault tech Mm -hmm. um and sometimes whatever they were experimenting on got out, and you'd have like this micro environment around the vault of like weird mutated insects.
0: Right, right, yeah, and it does it does have that kind of fallout type of vibe, much more than a than a gamma world because you know you're you're in gamma world you're kind of navigating the ruins of modern society, uh, whereas this one it's it's completely alien, um, and it would be alien to a Greyhawk resident regardless as to where it's from. I mean, I've I heard one commentator uh, mention that uh, you could you could spin this dungeon off and have it return to Earth in the Gamma World setting with the Greyhawk characters in tow. And, and there is a
1: way to do that mm-hmm. in, the, in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Yep. For, for a first edition, there's a conversion AD&D to Gamma World and vice versa.
0: Yeah, yep. Uh, they wanted; they were kind of wanting to do that whole shared universe, shared mechanic sort of thing, and get all the right. different things from various settings. Because, well, like Dave Arneson, even had in his Castle Blackmore setting, he had a a, a crash spaceship at one point, and there was well, a technological the, level to Greyhawk.
1: That's pretty cool. I didn't know that, um, but yeah. But, so the the BX edition of D anD D is very compatible with um gamma world mm-hmm. uh, there's a few like significant differences but nothing that you can't overcome um uh, the, the main thing being that Gamma world relies on the weapon you're using as opposed to the class that your character is right for combat mm-hmm. uh, but it's nothing that you can't overcome right and this kind of gives you the best of both worlds um, can we talk for a minute about how big of a bastard Gary Gojax is in terms <laughs> of like <laughs> enough with the praise
0: <laughs> enough with the praise let's talk about the fact that this dungeon is a fucking meat grinder
1: it is a total meat grinder uh, just coupled with the fact that nothing is familiar and I, I realize that the S series is supposed to be um, kind of uh, vindictive <laughs> Right, right. Uh, it's supposed to be challenging, and it's supposed to um, just take your expectations and kind of uh, throw them out the window. Mm-hmm. And obviously Tomb of Horrors does that. It is the thinking person's dungeon. It's all traps, etc. Um White Plume Mountain is a literal meat grinder mm-hmm. where they the guy, like, Put it together as kind of like a circus showcase of what you could do in a dungeon yep and but but this one i think is the height of this series and maybe it's just because it's got that that science fiction um feel to it but the things that you encounter in here are just vicious mm-hmm. <laughs> just vi- I, like so y'all know about my semi love affair with the slot in in 5e right mm-hmm. yes it's probably the most horrible horrific thing in 5e um slot the veggie pygmies are slot before slot <laughs> they kind of are they kind of are I, I the the way a veggie pygmy is born pygmies are this these anthropomorphic um, masses of plant life that are uh, they're like the the modules equivalent of cobalt or orcs.
0: But mm-hmm.
1: there's just a lot of them. There's a ton of them, and they they're weak things that overpower you with just sheer numbers, right? Because it's D and D, and so. How do you get veggie pygmies? Well, there's this thing called russet mold. And if you breathe in russet mold spores and fail your saving throw, you instantly die. (laughs) And then, over the course of a day or so, the russet mold takes over your body and transforms you into a veggie Yep. It's horrific. Yes. And, hey. and mo- the most horrible thing isn't even the idea of that. It's just that, you know, it's going to happen to somebody in the park. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. Because the chances of everybody making their con roll, their cons or whatever, it's a um, saving throw against poison. It's not even a con roll. It's back when you actually had weird saving throws. The chances of everybody making that are slim to none. And you're going to get one or two members of the party <laughs> that you're going to be dragging along and bring them out of this horrible dungeon, right? Mm. So you can give your mates a proper burial. And you're camping for the night. You found a safe spot. And you're, you're, you know, rationing out your food and trying to figure out what the hell this thing you found, what it does. It's got a shoulder mount and a TV screen. And then all of a sudden, like behind you, sits up. (laughs) And it's a fucking... It's in your maze just now. It's one of of the creatures
0: you encountered in the dungeon, except it's wearing Frank's tunic. Dun-dun-dun!
1: That's pretty horrifying. I
0: love it. It's great. There's a lot of... uh, I mean, you got radiation in there. Radiation is deadly. Gary Gygax loved... I think, to kill people with radiation. Everybody at TSR
1: did. Radiation's <laughs> awesome. Oh, uh, yeah, you've got radiation. Uh, the androids, oh, my God. It's it's funny. It, this kind of, of chases me a little bit. Nothing speaks common mm-hmm. in this dungeon, right? Because right. they're all from a different planet. So you have, like, things yelling at you all the time like mm. a boxing android telling you to put them up and uh, come on, that's no way to punch. You fight like a girl all in a foreign language that no one understands unless you cast a, uh, you know, speak language or
0: whatever. And there's signs and instructions that you can't read unless you do that.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and it's really there. it's like, you know, and it's important shit. Like,
1: uh, it's important shit to you. They magic users. They were they were magic users back then, casting these spells and and eating up their spell slots. You know, for translation spells and stuff. Right. To to translate then, a sign that And says... then you get attacked by. Then you get attacked by something that can only be killed by lightning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the mage has no more lightning because he used it all up. <laughs> translating you know the restroom sign
0: right like toilet maintenance so closet it,
1: it's, it gets a little vindictive at times like that like petty vindictive mm-hmm. like the veggie pygmies, that's cool right the whole language barrier thing has implications that it really eats up stuff and plus like all the banter that, that you miss from the androids Yes. You, know, you have all these great malfunctioning androids. Like a fencing instructor, and, you know, a weightlifter and all these great things that could be like quipping as they're kicking your ass and you can't understand any of it.
0: But they can understand you. Yes. In because, particular, yeah. the police androids can understand you. It takes them uh, what was it? One one round to translate common or whatever you yes. have to do. Oh, that's speak-
1: one thing you can do. That I don't know if you would think to do it would be to you can pull the translator out of a uh, a downed police android or they're not even android police robot and and if you could figure out how to use it then you have a translating device but I mean I'm thinking just from player perspective you have to be really damn astute mm-hmm. to be thinking of that.
0: Right. Yeah, there's no babble fish in this.
1: Yeah. And I kinda wish there was. Just um maybe just from a a DM's perspective, just to make things a little bit easier. Because there is a lot to keep track of um in this in this particular dungeon just because you know it it isn't your typical dungeon. A lot a lot of moving parts that you have there to deal with. And can't we talk about how these maps are numbered
0: absolutely not no <laughs> go right ahead
1: so particularly level four there's no rhyme or reason as to where the numbers go mm-hmm. and it's huge and it's really hard to find where these encounters are sometimes so like one is like kind of in the middle to, towards the lower right Mm-hmm. And then there's, like, uh, one, two, three, four, like, five or six twos lying around, and they're all over the place. Three is, I can't even find it, like, offhand. And and that's a, that kind of just, uh, it, there's no, like, sequence. Right. Like, you would normally have in a dungeon, you'd have room one, room two would be next to it, room three and four would be on either side of that. hmm And this reference is a little little bit bit easier. It's a little bit more random. So it's just a little bit more work.
0: Now let's throw some, another layer of complexity on top of this. You have a language barrier, you have alien monsters and, and devices that you're, you're not familiar with. You have a, a disorienting layout. Let's add the four. Let's add one more element in there, guys. Let's have color coded keys. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: On a black and white map. So now you have is that a five or is that V for violet? But you know, you also have to figure out a way to communicate this information with the players. There are no key card locks in Greyhawk. Right. You have a
1: and there's no plastic. Right. So you have a, a playing card made out of a horn like material. Plastic is always a horn like material. Mm-hmm. Um that is green. Okay, that's fine. Now how do you get across that the, the key swipes
0: are Yeah, apparently the lock like does it like an ATM and you pulls your card in, door opens, it spits it out the receptacle.
1: Right. Right.
0: <clears throat> Yeah, how do you communicate this? There's also certain areas of the levels that uh, the reaction of a or an android is precipitated by what key card you're holding,
1: <clears throat> right?
0: And there's no way to communicate this with the player in a way that they'll understand
1: or right. that and, makes and sense within really, the system, right? And there's a hierarchy of these colored uh, mm-hmm. key cards. So um, there's really no way of determining, no easy way for the players to determine uh, what that hierarchy is, except by just trying it out on different doors. Trial and error of, uh and, and this even, is even then, even then, you know, are they going to get the fact that there is a hierarchy?
0: Mm-hmm. This is also true. Uh, there's probably several ways you have to add in, you know, maybe there's red stripes on the floor or something like that in a red key card area. You know, kind of like the visual cues that you see in, like, Doom, for example. Or some other games where, uh, video games where the area that you need the key for has some type of design element that matches that color key.
1: Yeah, I think that would, would be the way to...
0: And then, uh... Now this is also, I guess, because it's a meat grinder. Uh, you are kind of they—they're recommending creating enough so each player controls two characters in the party, so you can two have like two or more. They—they they say two because it's hard to get to manage three. But uh, yeah, they—they're—they're they're looking for a big party going into this ex- this expedition.
1: Yeah, there's a uh, there's a list of. Uh... Tournament characters that they use with 15 different characters. And they range from level uh, five, I think is the low, four is the lowest. Good luck, Lawful Good Halfling Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Lawful Good Halfling Fighter. Good luck with that. Um, to level 12. And I think the
0: recommendation Um, for this module is eight to twelve. Eight to
1: twelve, right? I don't know why you have a level four halfling fighter as part of your crew,
0: but whatever. That one guy that comes into the convention says, "Can I play my uh, the character I play at home?"
1: Yeah, level thirty.
0: Apparently, (laughs) it's a
1: uh,
0: no. It's apparently a level four lawful good halfling fighter. So there and, you have uh, it's it. It's also uh,
1: recommended that you well, it's also recommended that you start off with some bitchin' ass equipment.
0: Just, yes. Yes.
1: Like everyone needs like plus three something.
0: hmm This this is one of those, this is kind of like Tomb of Horrors. It's supposed to be like the culmination of your career. Right. You know, by you the know, time I mean, you're appropriate it, for this, you know. I, you, I get
1: it. It's it it was a, a convention, you know, it's a special that's why it's S. It's a special module. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I would want to use my hard, hard fought characters in it. Right. You know, um, I, I would recommend that you like roll up something specifically for this Mm -hmm. or use, or use one of the tournament characters.
0: Right so so you think uh, because you don't think adding this into a campaign an existing campaign is necessarily a good
1: idea i think you would lose friends <laughs> i think you would lose friends there's challenging and then there's like extra. sadistic and this is a little extra i'm not saying that it's not fun or anything but i think you would need to um to make it to make it a little bit more fun and less harrowing I would uh, use characters that you're not emotionally attached to
0: that's a very good point that is a very good point so there you have it ladies and gentlemen Expedition to the Barrier Peaks D&D module from 1980 to 81 it was the copyright date uh, by Mr. Yes. E. Gary Gygax himself who signed one of the map levels by the way if you, did you notice that?
1: yes <laughs> yes backwards
0: yes. yes and uh yep so check that out uh roll up character special for it don't put it in your campaign uh unless you yeah. don't want it unless you have some republican friends or something like that you're trying to get rid of it. right
1: well i mean look when we ran tomb of horrors you guys um uh, use alternate versions of your of your characters mm-hmm. there's that too but there's something like a little it almost feels like cheating, you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, there's you start having like multiverses and stuff like that, and you get some rather interesting <laughs> takes on characters. Um Madam Snart, for example. Oh, when, God, that's right. But she's around to become a villain elsewhere. <laughs> All right, so there you have it. Expedition to the barrier peaks. Check it out. Keep the That's right. We'll see you next time.